As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Football is king in Texas. We thrive on it. And after we won the Rose Bowl last year, the entire state knew we were getting back to where we expect to be, which is where we are right now. About to win our first national championship in 35 years. Now just hold on a second there, Cowboy. This may be your first rodeo in a while, but for USC fans, it's our third national title game in three years. Now, I'm not exactly sure what that is percentage-wise. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but uh, I bet you, bet you it's pretty good. What's that? 100%? Wow, that is good. Welcome to the Andy Staples Show. And yes, that was uh, Matthew McConaughey in front of some cows and Will Ferrell at a pool introducing us to the Rose Bowl. January 2006, the culmination of the 2005 season, Texas versus USC. Maybe the best national title game ever. Welcome to the rewatch party. We've done a couple other games, but this one... Probably felt the biggest when it happened. Still feels huge. And with me is someone who was with me in the press box that night. Stuart Mandel from The Athletic. He was Stuart Mandel from SI.com at the time. I was Andy Staples from the Tampa Tribune. We hung out the night before at uh, at Trader Vic's, I believe. Oh, yes. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, we were pretending to be, you know, Hollywood hotshots, I guess, that night. That's right. That's right. When you're when you're staying in the Beverly Hilton, which used to be the media hotel, and, and you had crazy. The, the the Mac Brown Pete Carroll joint press conference. I think it's now in. like a Fairfield Inn at the in uh, downtown L.A. Oh yeah, yeah. But like the 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 room where they had the press conference is the room where they do the Golden Globes. Yeah, and I actually remember vividly um, they had some sort of availability with Keith Jackson who was calling the game. After like, you know, they always do the head coaches press conference the day before the game. And then they were doing the and and I'm walking down the hall and who walks right past me? Keith Jackson. Oh, doctor. It's Stuart Mandel. Oh. <laughs> it was awesome rewatching this game and hearing his voice, especially right at the beginning. I wrote down the I'm not going to try to do his voice, but this is such a Keith Jackson thing to say. By consensus, the team's ranked number one and two with nary a whisper of dissent. Yeah, and he said there'd been so much hype, he didn't think he could swallow it. But, <laughs> now, no spoilers here, but you guys already know how this went. 
this game lived up to the hype. This game was was monumentally hyped and more than lived up to it. Stuart, let, let's kind of set the scene because I was talking about this with someone earlier today and it was somebody about my age and we were trying to explain to younger folks what sports center was at this time, what, where in the cultural zeitgeist some of these things fit. And because remember on sports center for two weeks prior to this game, every night they would compare USC to a different all time, great college football team. No, they never compared Texas to anything. I think I was saying to you last night, it's amazing in, in retrospect, Texas was undefeated. They were scoring 50 points a game. They had Vince young. They had just won their conference title game, 70 to three. And they were just completely out of sight, out of mind. It was all about that USC team. They'd won 34 in a row. And I don't think this can be replicated. I don't think this would happen in college football today. The reason, besides 34 in a row, the reason that team was just had this aura about them is because Matt Leinert and Reggie Bush and Lendale White were there all three years. Yeah. It, you know, for all these great Alabama teams, they kind of cycle in and cycle out every couple of years. You don't have that nucleus of stars that stay in college or stay with the same team for that long. So, or, or that are good for the, the first, because like at Alabama, you may not be good enough. Even if you're as good as those players, you may not be good enough to play as a freshman because there's so much talent yeah. ahead of you. Yeah. Well, Liner waited his turn for a couple of years, but Reggie was a star right from his freshman season. Dwayne Jarrett was a star as a freshman. Yeah. Um, and, it, you know, just that there was no LA team, in the, no NFL team in LA at the time. Yep. The I, Lakers I, were good, but the Dodgers weren't. It was, and Pete Carroll had just created this, you know, this media darling of a program. And I actually went there. I remember I went out there in the preseason to do something on, I think it was related to, or in the theme of, could this be the greatest team of all time? And I mean, it was like you were covering, you know, uh, the Lakers. Like that's yeah. the kind of attention that they got now. For the two weeks of all that all that debating about whether they're the greatest team of all time, it's like, did 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 they not watch the Fresno State game that year? Did we not? Uh, I was at an ASU USC game where they fell behind, I think twenty eight to three, and had to come back. The thing is, Pete Carroll had some great defenses at USC. This was not one of them. Well, and, and, and you know that's and this defense was facing something that it hadn't really seen before in this offense and. It's weird talking about a Greg Davis offense as being cutting Innovative. edge, but like watching this game was like watching two eras of college football collide because when you watch USC play offense, they're in the I formation. They have a fullback almost every play. Uh, they'll occasionally motion him out, but it is very structured, looks very much like the NFL offenses you watched all through the 90s and 2000s. And meanwhile, Texas, Texas is spread out. They're huddling sometimes, but not always. Uh, this one back, there's no fullback, and they're just letting Vince Young cook. And I, it's interesting because one of the things I, I put in my notes over and over again, Stuart, was we we kind of build this game up as it was this this collision of superpowers, and it did live up to the hype, but it was not a particularly clean game. It was kind of sloppy. There were a lot of key mistakes, and. One of the things that I, if Texas had been more efficient on offense, I don't even think this would have been close because USC basically had two choices. They would blitz Vince Young 
And half the time that would work. The other half, he would get away and run for, for 20 yards. Or they would play so soft that he could hit somebody eight yards down the field every single time. So it was, it was pretty easy when they got it going. The first half was sloppy. There were four fumbles in the first half. There was one of the plays I always remember from that game is Reggie Bush breaks a... And by the way, it's so... Every time I watch a Reggie Bush again, I still can't believe it. He was so fast. He was so electrifying. And he takes off, I don't know, 30, 40 yards. And as he's about to be tackled... It's on a middle screen. For some reason, yeah, he decides he's going to lateral it to... Not, who's that guy? What was that guy's name? He was a backup receiver, I think. Oh, um, I believe it's Brad, Brad Walker. Yes. Here, here's the here's the play. That's Dominic Bird, the tight end. Mason, he's a very fast guy. And sometimes he goes deep. They drop it off. Got a little screen action set up for Bush. Oh, look out. Ball fumble. Texas has got it. He's trying to lateral the ball is what he was doing, Keith. He saw a teammate out to the side and flipped the ball out there, and Texas has got it. And by the way, USC got on the board in part because of a Texas mistake. Remember, USC gets stopped on the first drive. They kick it to Aaron Ross. He gets hit and fumbles. fumbles. USC recovers, and that leads to a Lindale White touchdown. So the first half was very sloppy. It's 16-10 Texas at the half. But the second half, was an at was all of the offensive stars at their yeah. absolute peak. Nobody can stop anybody. Um, Texas did miss a field goal. That was kind yeah. of the, the the one time somebody broke serve. I was at one point. And this is late in the game. Dan Fouts just casually mentions that Matt Leinart at that point is fourteen of fifteen for one hundred eighty two yards in the second half, and he was the second best quarterback on the field. It was. Great. And Dwayne Jarrett was awesome. Like, yeah. I had forgotten how awesome Dwayne Jarrett was in college, period. But in this game specifically, like, there was nothing that Texas could do to stop him. And Lendale White, he, in the second half, you know, and, and we can talk about the infamous With one notable exception, fourth and yes. two decision. But, yeah. you know, for, I, I think the reason they did that is because he was bulldozing them in the second half. So sloppy first half, but the second half is why it goes down as an all-time classic. Well, you mentioned um, Keith Keith Jackson is calling yeah. this game, which this is the last very this, last game. Yeah, this is the last game he called. And for those of us who grew up on Keith Jackson is calling it it must be a big game. Like this was it. Now, you and I were in the stadium, so we didn't get to watch this live. But it it was crazy just from the opening, just hearing him talk, like here's him describing Vince Young. I don't think there's anybody today who who could do this in terms of just describing a player at the beginning of a game. The quarterback for the Longhorns is a big fellow. Vince Young, 6'5", 230 plus. A lot of swagger, but he's good. His individual numbers sewn here for this year tell you a lot. He's fighting at his size when he gets loose and starts running around. He's 29-2 and two as a starter. And as an old defensive coach once said, he ain't got no handles. But he led the country in passing efficiency this year. One of the prime reasons the Horns average better than 50 points a game this season. I don't even Boy, know what that, that means, but it's that. awesome. <laughs> there are... There are a lot of great college football play-by-play announcers today, so this is not meant as an insult no. to anybody. But they don't have that, I think, folksy authenticity. Right. They're very polished. Chris Fowler well, is very polished play-by-play yeah. guy. He's very good at what he does. But he's not like, 
what what's you know you don't think like oh that's a tip that's a classic chris fowler line right there yeah well and and keith it was the it was the folksy authenticity plus the deep gravitas voice of god thing that he could drop into when he needed to Vern lundquist was was this too but not to that level and i think that like Vern went more toward the folksy and keith rode that line between you know your your grandpa and god and it, it really it was it was impressive and now and look, he didn't have his best game i mean no, let's be honest here no, dan was dan was lifting quite a bit in the second he, half what i noticed is he was he was fine on a typical play but there were a lot of plays in this game where it wasn't clear is he is it a is it a touchdown or is it not is it a fumble or is it not and he was kind of lost on those. He actually said at one point, well, they, they know better than me. I'm just watch, here watching with my binoculars. Um, <laughs> I think most play-by-play guys now are looking at the monitor. Um, and then, you know, unfortunately on the two-point conversion at the end, he's, he goes, it seems like the clock didn't start on on that. Mm-hmm. And 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 Fouts very politely says like, well, not a surprise. It was, you know, an extra point Two-point attempt. Two-point conversion, yeah. Yeah. So it, it yeah, it was tough hearing that part of it but it was just nice to hear like especially the beginning like it, it felt like you're i was a kid again listening or watching keith jackson and but it was interesting because this this was sort of a weren't quite in a new era yet but hearing people talk about things that are very common now as if they were from outer space was interesting so here's dan fouts explaining the read option to the audience. Greg Davis, the offensive coordinator for the Horns, told me that the read play is unfamiliar to SC when you have a player with the talents of a Vince Young. You can see him make people miss. The body lean, the vision, the feel. That's why Greg Davis feels that Texas has a great shot tonight because of number 10 running the ball like that. And that was a, a replay of Vince Young catches the snap, puts the ball in Selvin Young's belly, looks at whatever player he's reading, and decides to keep it and gains like 15 yards. Which nothing against Greg Davis, but right. I, I think you could have put Vince Young in front of any offense, I, and he would have still done what he did. Did um, I'm just thinking in my head of the chronology. So this is 2005. This is 2005. So you're two, watching two Rich years, Rodriguez. We're two years away yep. from Chip Kelly coming to the Pac-10. Yes. As the Oregon offensive coordinator. So yeah. you're two years away from USC seeing seeing something like that on a regular basis. And by the way, USC had a lot of trouble with Oregon, uh, Oregon's offense oh, yeah. the first yeah. couple of years. Um, the other thing I would say is you're describing, it's interesting you're describing USC's offense as very old-fashioned, and it was. Who was the offensive coordinator on that team? Lane, Lane Kiffin. Kiffin. And who was the and quarterback's Lane- coach? Current Texas coach Steve Sarkeesian. I think he and Sark were co-play callers, though. Yeah. Kiffin had the offensive coordinator title, but they were co-play callers. But, you know, Kiffin just, I think a couple weeks ago, and he was talking about NIL and people need to adapt or die, basically, used the example of, you know, if you're not embracing this, it's, it's as if you're still running the I formation every play, right? Yes. He, to his credit, evolved. Uh, I mean, I think as the head coach at USC, they were still, they were starting to evolve a little bit, but they were still pro-style. Right. But once he got, you know, once Nick Saban asked him to modernize their offense, he's been 
you know, kind of on the cutting edge ever since. Oh, and I, I've talked to him about that. You know, the offense that intrigued him most when he studied all that was the was the Bryles Baylor offense, which is why he wound up hiring Kendall Bryles at FAU, why he hired Jeff Levy at, at Ole Miss, because he felt like that one was the most efficient one of, of all of those. Uh, they couldn't, they, Saban didn't want to run it at Alabama, but he tried to incorporate as much as he could. And then once he got in his own shop again, he was all in. We'll be right back after this message from one of our lovely sponsors. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, Everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. But just back to the what you were talking about with Keith and the intro, it just made it feel so big. Yeah. Um, and it was, you know, you were saying trying to describe it to a younger audience. I believe that no national championship game since was this big going into it um i would agree with that i don't know if that's a i mean i do think it's a largely a product of the usc are they the greatest team of all time argument but also remember this was the bcs there was no semifinal round right so there was 30 40 days of build-up to the game yeah and then also i do think about this this is one of the last championship games with no sec team so yeah. you've got you know that the Farrell mcconaughey setup is funny, but also very emblematic of its West Coast versus of these two different parts of the country. And you don't get yeah. that as much anymore. So I, I think people have a hard time getting really amped up for Alabama Clemson. Yeah. Uh, or, or, so since you know. then, there's only been one other national championship game without an SEC team, and that was Ohio State, Oregon. And I would argue that had the most buildup of any game since then because it was the first one of the playoff era. Yeah. Golly, it it is it is crazy when you think about just how big it was, and you know the the venue helps the Rose Bowl. It, it looks impressive, the, all the the sweeping shots, and they'd had years of practice, you know, with the cameras and shots of the helicopters drying the grass, and so they 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 knew how to put on a Rose Bowl and how to make it look huge. But it it is interesting when we talk about the players in this game, Stuart, because there there are a lot of players where I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember that guy. The difference between the second and 26th game, which we did earlier this week with, with Aaron Settles and Seth Emerson in this game, is there are a lot more high draft picks, future NFL contributors in that second and 26th game than in this game. The talent was much more dispersed in college football at this point. Well, first of all, you know, two observations on that. Like I said, the USCD, I started looking up some of those USC defensive starters None of the none of the defensive starters went on to have big NFL careers. The guys who did were freshmen like Brian Cushing, 
right now Luga, but they were barely playing. Um, and then on Texas' side, this offense that was scoring 50 points a game was Vince Young and a bunch of guys that have kind of been forgotten to history. Now, Jamal Charles was on the team, but he was a freshman. He got five carries in this game. One of them was a fumble, but he had a couple of nice runs. But it wasn't like, I mean, their starting running back was Selvin Young. Yeah. Their top receiver was what, Limus Swede? Limus Swede, they had Quan, young, Con, uh, young it was, Cosby. It was Vince Young and a supporting cast of, for you know, kind of forgettable players, whereas USC obviously had a very star studded offense. Yeah. It, and it was, but it was interesting because it, now I can't imagine that. Like, I can't imagine that type of team even making the national title game. And Auburn did this in 2010 with Cam Newton. Very similar situation to the, to the Texas team. Because they had Nick Fairley, who was a first-rounder on the D-line, and then Cam Newton. And then other than that, they didn't have a lot of NFL players. It's a but, testament to Vince Young. He was he was that good that he yeah. carried that team to an undefeated season, 50-point-per-game offense. It didn't finish 50-point-per-game, but... It was going into that Cause, game because they only scored forty one in this one. <laughs> it was it was something to behold, and you kind of wondered, you know, because this was one. A lot of these games have runs where one team just sort of jumps out, and then another team comes. This was very seesaw back and forth, and I think that also adds to the 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 mythology of this game because it never it never felt settled at any point. It, until Not one. settled, but when USC went up 38-26 with 6.42 left, and I was in the stadium, you were in the stadium, it felt like it should be over. It, wa- it wasn't, but is Texas really going to come back at this point and that late in the game? And of course they did. Um, but also, by the way, one of my main things, I, in my mind, for 17 years, Vince Young runs right past me into the end zone, and mm-hmm. in my mind, like the game was over then, or the, maybe there was an onside kick. No, 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 no. USC had enough time if they had done it right to right. get into field goal range and send it to over, overtime. We had overtime, right? Yes, we had overtime. Yes, there um, was overtime. Nineteen. Unfortunately, Liner held onto the ball too long yep. um, with eight seconds left, and the clock ran out. But they got to the forty-three. It, yeah. it wasn't. It was by no means over once Vince ran into the end zone. No. No, now look, look, before we get to this this stellar second half, you want to hear Pete and Mac? Here's Pete and Mac. I going love to the halftime. Max halftime this, interview. This, it was, when I was watching, it. I was like, "This is the this is the ultimate background interview." Here's so here's Pete and Mac going into halftime. Pete, what do you need to fix at halftime? Well, we, we, we gave a couple opportunities away to him, you know, and then we just have to do a much better job of that. We don't normally do those kinds of things. I don't know why Reg flipped that ball back. You know, we were in pretty good shape right there. Uh, that, that's the first thing. We got to slow him down. They had a little momentum going with the no huddle thing. We got to slow that thing down. Your quarterback, Matt Leinart, how is he? He's okay. He's okay. He got rocked a little bit, but he's all right. We'll see you in the second half. Holly? I'm here with Matt Brown. Coach, in that midway point through the first half, your team seemed to pick up some momentum. What happened to get that momentum? Oh, Holly, it's a, a great ball game between two great <laughs> football teams. And I think ours were trying a little too hard, and we really stunk the first part of it. We've settled down now, and what a ball game. Should what, be a great second half. What stunk? Well, we fumbled the ball twice, and, and then we laid it on the ground another time when we're going in to score, and uh, we had an opportunity or two on defense we didn't make. But it's a great football team, and we've got to protect the ball better the second half. All right, thanks, Coach. Thank you. Oh, Holly, it's just oh, a great Holly. football game for, for folks, and I, I think hope everybody back coaches. in Texas is watching. It was great. <laughs> But I do. I think both those coaches really were in the like they knew what an unbelievable yes. moment and unbelievable atmosphere this was. In fact, am I allowed to skip to the end of it? Uh, oh yeah, go ahead. Pete Carroll. First of all, this would never happen today. 
Texas wins the national championship, and the first two people ABC interviews afterward, minutes after the game ended, are Pete Carroll and Matt Leinart. Not yeah. the winning team. And Matt Leinart looks like, I just want to get the heck out of here. Yeah. Um, Pete Carroll says he doesn't seem all that shaken up about it. And he says he's, he's complimenting Vince Young. And he says, um, how classic was it that he scored? He ran it in at the end. And he was right. It was yeah. classic. Yeah. Well, and somebody asked me earlier today, and I had never thought about this before, but did I think the Lindale White getting stopped on fourth and short inform Pete Carroll's decision? And I realize he doesn't call the offensive plays for the Seahawks. But being okay with throwing into the end zone in the Super Bowl, and I had never thought about that before. I d- I don't think it had anything to do with it because you know Daryl Bevel called the plays for the Seahawks. Then Pete Carroll is obviously on the headset, but would have had to just overrule and say no, no, go with something else. I don't th- think that would have happened that way. But how crazy would it be if that play was in Pete Carroll's head as they're going? Should we hand- just hand it to Marshawn here, or should we throw it? I wonder if anybody's asked him that. I mean, that game was a long time ago now, that Super Bowl. That would that would be, I'd love to, to hear whether that was the case. Because you're right, he's on the headset, so he could have maybe. He could have said, says, no, like, run it. Yeah. He could have said, are you okay with us passing here? I mean, absolutely. So um, a lot of games took place between then, between those two. Uh, but it's, you know, the national championship. That was his last national championship game. So then the Super Bowl would be his next quote unquote national championship. Well, no, game. no, they kicked, they kicked. The Broncos, but in the in the one Super Bowl they won, so that was oh, his first this Super one was Bowl. after that. You're yeah, right. and then My they bad. played the Patriots the year after. So, but it, I, yeah, I, I that is maybe maybe we will get uh Mike, Mike Sean Duggar to ask him that. <laughs> I'm curious now. So we, we start the first half or the second half, and the first score of that second half is the iconic uh, SI photo of Vince diving over the pylon. So that that's this touchdown right here. Reaches for it. Touchdown. Well, he's got the team on his back, man. Well, we talked about you can be in position. You can have the right defensive call made. You can do everything right. But if you've got him one-on-one, you're probably not going to tackle him. And that's what happened on that play. Yeah, so this is where we get to some iconic moments. So you had that one where he dove over the pylon. The next score of the game is Lindale on fourth and one. And I firmly believe that this play is what set up the one where he got stopped. Because this is fourth and one. I want to say it's the about the 10-yard line. And this is what happens. I mean, it, it's one of the it's a walk-in. Fourth down and one with White, the deep back. Big play here, folks. Goes to White, runs up the middle. That'll do it. Touchdown. So you had that. And right before that play, there's a conversation between when Keith and Dan about whether Reggie Bush is going to go pro. And th- there's also a conversation later in the game about whether Vince Young's going to go pro. Can you imagine that happening today? Like with a, a, a third-year player who's that good, like there being any mystery about whether they're going to go pro or not? I mean, no, of course not. The only the only time I remember, I remember Sam Darnold's last season of college, Kirk Herbstreit being very, they, I don't remember what game it was, but being very outspoken and emphatic during the game that he shouldn't turn pro, that he's not ready. Um, I do remember that 
that conversation. But these two guys, of course, they were going to turn pro. Yeah. By the way, you're focused. You focused a lot on the on the Lendale White fourth and two at the end. But you're not. Correct me if I'm wrong. You're not questioning the decision to run. No. You're questioning why Reggie Bush is on the sideline. And nope. two ABCs. Correct. No. Neither. I'm not. I I, I think because especially after rewatching the game, I think it was the perfect call. And Texas's defense happened to make the perfect play. Yeah, I just wonder though if if Reggie Bush is out there and you have to account for him, whether that makes a difference. And ABC, to its credit, shows Reggie Bush on the sideline. Right they did before. right before the snap. They they made they noticed. Well, here's the thing though: they weren't usually in the game at the same time. Like it wasn't Lindell White as as the fullback for Reggie Bush. They had two other fullbacks. Correct. Uh, there were several times in the game though when they would put Reggie Bush out at receiver. So I See, don't that, know if that, that, this wouldn't have been the right play for that, but yeah. But Lindale had not been stopped anywhere near the line of scrimmage. Like they'd barely touched him before the line of scrimmage on any time he touched the ball. I think he was averaging over six yards a carry at that point. I think it was close to seven yards a carry. So it, that, I, that never bothered me. Uh, but it, it's funny because I, I do, I think that's the most important play of the game. Absolutely. Always have. Because game would have been over. You see the Texas defenders run off the field like they've won the national championship because they know <laughs> they have. They know that Vince Young getting back on the field is all that matters. And like that's that's the part that I think it it just that didn't take root to me at the game until the middle of the fourth quarter, Stuart. So let, let's let's talk about a little bit the the in the second half. So here's a Reggie Bush touchdown that I, I find is kind of representative of Reggie Bush as a USC player. This is a how the did he get, Yes, how did he accelerate that fast? How did he stay in bounds before he launched? And how did he make sure he held on to the ball? Reggie Bush is the deep back. He gets it. Goes to the outside with it. Oh, around the corner. It was, he flips over the pylon, essentially. And it's one of those, like, your jaw still drops. And I don't know, I mean, because Reggie, like, we look at the old Barry Sanders highlights and and, and are amazed at his Oklahoma State highlights. And then we, he went and did the same thing with the Detroit Lions. I think the fact that Reggie never really did that in the NFL, it changes the way... You, the lens you look at it through. But watching that again, when I was watching it, I mean, it takes you right back to how does anyone ever stop this guy? You could make the case that those are the two most exciting play. I would throw Cam Newton in the mix for this as well, but the two most mm-hmm. exciting college football players that of, of the last, I don't know, 20 years yeah. were playing in this game because yeah. I'm telling you, the second half is just a masterpiece on on all sides. And Reggie doesn't have it, you know, he's not he doesn't have the ball every play like Vince Young does, but he was incredible. Liner, like I said, was incredible. And but Vince Young on that last drive, on that last drive, so I thought I was like the Texas at the game, I was like the Texas defenders. I thought, okay, he's gonna that they're he's gonna march down and win. But USC actually played really good defense on that drive for the most part. That's how it got to fourth and five with, with, with a couple exceptions. So a, let's, well, they had a bad penalty. Yep. Yeah, let's let, let's let's get to that. Let's let's start with with Lindale. 
So you got a fourth down. You're you're in Texas territory, barely. But you have a back, again, who is just demolishing people. Like, this is the guy you want to hand it to. But in a, in a half where the defenses really couldn't do much of anything, the Texas defense stands up tall. But Lendell White's in there. He's the power back. He gets it. He didn't get it. He gets it, meaning he got the ball. That official right there is marking the ball. And he's marking it short of the first down. Texas football. That's the point where me in the press box, Stuart, I go, okay, Texas is winning this game. Because Vince Young getting the ball back, he is definitely going to score. But you're right. You know, you, you there there are a couple times in that last drive where Texas could have or should have been stopped. So uh, the 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 face mask, I believe, is on a second down that would have been it would have been third and long mm-hmm. after if this just this plays just ends. But it's Darnell Bing on Quan Cosby. Here's the play. It's coming again. They pick him up. He throws to the sidelines. The pass is completed, but it is short of the first down. That's Quan Cosby. And what do they say? A flag comes in, Keith. I think it's going to be a late hit against SC. Texas sideline celebrating. Wow. Wow is right. What a huge mistake this is. They get the face mask call. And the question is, is it 15 or 5? Well, if it's uh, if it's five from where they're standing, it's going to be a first down, isn't it? It'll be during the play, incidental five-yard face mask, the number 20 defense. The five-yard penalty results in a first down. Okay, no, so that was a third down play. Would have been fourth down, but the five-yard, and it would have been fourth and short, but the penalty results in a, in a first down. Now, they showed the replay. This is back when you had the distinction between the five-yard and the 15-yard face mask. This was a 15-yard face mask. Should have been, yeah. I think the officials didn't want to completely decide the game. Now they would have to call it 15. There were a couple really bad calls in this, like calls that should have been, I guess that can't be overturned on replay, but the first Texas touchdown shouldn't have been a touchdown. Right. Yeah. Like literally, there's no dispute about it. It shouldn't have been a touchdown, and they didn't go to replay. Yeah, it's it, they did, and they had replay at this point. They did review some stuff, but it, it this was not one of the. But this was one of those where, you know, there's no dispute. The, the, you see the replay; they made the right call, and in fact, probably could have made it worse on USC. But I had completely forgotten that, Stewart. I had just thought, yeah, okay, too. Vince Young drove him down the field. But you're absolutely right. As they got closer to the goal line, it it looked to me like. They're not going to get in. Like when you're rewatching it, because they're just they're th- they're taking shots into the end zone. They're just trying to throw the ball, and USC had a freshman in coverage who was doing fantastic. And I was like, okay, wait, what, when does Vince do stuff? I I remember <laughs> Vince doing more here. No, they they played good. They played good defense. Um, and and so like I said, like by the way, you, I feel bad for you. You were probably on a newspaper deadline, right? So you had to stay oh, up in the yeah. press box. I was in the press box. I didn't get to see it from the field. Like I was down did. on the sideline for the last five minutes, and again, like I thought, once Texas took over, they're going to win. And then it was like, actually, uh oh, they might be in trouble. And then on the fourth down play, that I don't know if you noticed this. I don't have it written down when it was, but that exact play, that exact Vince Young 
takes it around right end. Frosty mm-hmm. Rucker, poor Frosty Rucker can't get to him. That exact play happened earlier in the game. So I'm thinking that that he was thinking about that uh, when, oh, he, yeah. when he dropped back. Yeah. Well, here here is that play. Fourth and five. I kind of feel like Joe. I'm too old for this. <laughs> Fourth and five, the national championship on the line right here. He's going for the corner. He's got it. Vince Young scores. The roar, too. And this is this is a basically 50-50 split crowd. That's how loud that 50,000 Texas fans were. So down I'm down right happened right in front of me by the way our our former SI colleague Austin Murphy did you see him did you happen to see him in the when because there's so many people on that on the sideline in that corner and he and I noticed him and he's got a big smile on his face oh yeah well so story about that that Austin told me after I got you know moved into the role where where I had to write the the game story off the national title game for SI had to so yeah, got it's to. So bad it, for you. <laughs> it was yeah, but but so the way you do it because the and, and you if you listen to the second twenty six episode, you you know the mechanics of this because I had to call in uh, three paragraphs about Tua Tonga Vailoa to un to have them unlock the prefile to include him in there. Otherwise, it wouldn't have made sense. And so this is one where we had the you know you're doing the prefile thing. I we say we I didn't work there yet, but. It's the pre-file thing. So Austin has written a Texas win story and a USC win story. And it's it's roughly, I, you know, I don't know how big the, the issues were at the time, but I can probably guesstimate on a word count. He's probably got 3,000 words filed and locked in on each of these teams winning. And it's basically the story of their season. And he'll put 400 new words at the top and 400 new words at the bottom to make, to, to kind of put a bow on it. And, he had to call and say, guys, I need to rip it all up. I got to write oh, it all. Tonight. I didn't know that. Yeah. Because it wasn't because, centered around Vince. And it was just too good of a game. It was oh, too classic of a game. It had to be chronicled correctly. And to their credit, they trusted him and said, you know, you can." because here's the thing. And I, I, I've, I didn't have this situation happen because with second and 26, it actually worked out great because uh, the a lot of the Nick Saban stuff I had in there made for a nice through line that worked with the Tua stuff. But when you have a classic game like that, you need to make sure you tell the story correctly. And they close the issue at like 6 a.m. So you have a couple hours if you really need to do it. So it could have been done, but I didn't have to. But God bless Austin for doing that because that's one that it, it just kind of I bet it just sort of flowed through him because that was such a beautiful thing to watch. Such a classic game. You talk about Pete Carroll being interviewed after the game, recognizing in the moment that he had been part of something so special. And, and you know, Austin's a brilliant writer. And you go back and read that story. You feel like you're there. You know, you, you feel like you you just experienced it all. So. I'm so glad he made that decision and his editors were, were cool with letting him. I, yes, that's, I didn't never knew that. That's a great story. Um, so I just remember as soon as he, as it was obvious what was going to happen as soon as the play started. So to, uh, you know, in that end, it wasn't surprising and still I'm simultaneously feeling that. And also I can't believe this just happened. Like, I can't believe I was a witness to this 
historic moment. He immediately gets mobbed. Yeah. Again, that's why I think in my memory, 17 years later, I thought it was over at that point. I remember him being mobbed. You know, there's that iconic shot of him with his arm raised in the air with the confetti yeah. pouring down. Well, that, that's in why my Mac mind, that happened two. right after he ran in. Yeah. But that's why Mac went for two because it was a, I mean, he, he'd been watching that USC offense the whole half. He knew it was possible they can field all range. So at least if that happened, they still needed kind of a miracle to, to send it to overtime. Like if they kick the extra point, there's a chance that they could have that miracle and win. So at least you protect yourself that way. I wonder if, so the last play, Liner is eight seconds left, nobody's open, and he just takes too long to throw it away and the clock runs out. If he had thrown it away and had a chance to throw it into the end zone, it would have been improbable, obviously, but he had Dwayne Jarrett. It was doable. Yeah, There's I a scenario say, where Dwayne Jarrett with jumps Dwayne up and Jarrett, catches that. And look, Steve Smith was a very good college receiver. They they had dudes. You Reggie Bush would have been in that pattern. Mm-hmm. Like you, you're sending Reggie Bush out for a pass in that situation. So, I mean, but anything can happen because what happens if, let's say, you go underneath to Reggie Bush and hope he dances a little and somebody grabs his face mask, then you kick a field goal. So, yeah, Mac going for two is an underrated great idea in that situation, because I remember thinking at the time, like, okay, maybe they can get it. But does it matter here? But it, it worked out very well. We'll be right back after these words. Mac, I feel like the way his career at Texas ended, he kind of became the butt of jokes. All the quarterbacks he missed on. Um, he's not remembered in history the way. Uh, I mean, he was, you know, Mac, he was Bob Stoops was his foil. Yep. And unfortunately, he lost a lot of those games. But I think it's unfair if people think, well, he just won the national title because he had Vince Young. He just got lucky and he had yeah. Vince Young. No, first of all, there's a lot of ways that could have gone wrong. But second also, of all... So you, you had to beat that team. Yeah, that's why I'm upset. You had to beat that team. Your defense had to make enough stops to beat that team. And like you said, there were also some in-game decisions that went into that. Also, we mentioned Cam Newton and, and that team and, and him being so exciting and kind of carrying that team on his back to a national title in Auburn. Well, who was Texas's defensive coordinator in this game? One Gene oh, Chizik. Oh, yes. Gene Chizik. And that he was, was only there for one season, right? Yeah, that, that was great because they'd have the shots of the press box and and Greg Day. I believe that was Gene Chizik next to him in the press box standing up. I, or maybe he was on the field. I'm, I'm not sure. But yeah, you had you had that. And then on the other sideline, you had Pete Carroll and, and Steve Sarkeesian and Lane Kiffin. And it just it's amazing how how that sort of filtered out and 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 you think about usc and everything that's happened since then their quest to recreate the carroll era seems to have gotten them into into the hole they're in that lincoln riley's expected to dig them out of but you know texas same deal in a lot of ways the programs are very similar Uh, yeah i mean you could say they're kind of both stuck in 2005 right trying to trying to get back there it is funny that McConaughey and Farrell are still to this day like the celebrities you would most associate with uh, those programs. But that's why that's why I think Lincoln Riley is going to work because it, it, you know initially, right? They were just attempting to replicate Pete Carroll by hiring his understudies over right. and over and over. So now you've broken from that, but Lincoln Riley is is bringing 
the flash and the glitz, the kind of flash and the glitz and a guy like Caleb Williams that was very much like what USC was like back then. Um, who, you know, he's going to, I think, we'll see. You know, it's not going to be exactly the same because you have the Rams now. They just won yeah. the Super Bowl. You're right. going to have to Donald's compete for town. that yeah. airspace, right? But I do think he will make them a an attraction again, something that the city uh, uh, that the city of LA cares about because it's not a college town. You have to win them over. Mm-hmm. Some of those crowd shots during the end of the Clay Helton era were so depressing, right? Um, and these are these are passionate fans. I I think people on the East Coast, Big Ten country, SEC country, they just assume everyone who lives on the West Coast doesn't care about football. But like when USC is good. That USC fan base, they show up to games, they are loud, they are passionate. Like it's it's weird because it is a private school and you usually you don't get that sort that level of of crowd and and that volume with a private school, but it's really impressive and not what you'd expect from you because you expect a wine and cheese crowd on the West Coast and that's not what they are really. Not at USC. I mean, there's a lot of pride there's a lot of you know intense feelings that's why it was it was i thought um i mean it was very counterproductive the last few years to to booing your head coach in the stands and you know there was the year he that clay helton had like the 76th ranked recruiting class and was like Mm -hmm. what else do you expect (laughs) you guys have made it so that there's no the recruits don't think he'll be the coach but that comes from that pride and that intensity of like this is not what usc football is supposed to be yeah, they're not going to sit on their hands. You know, they're going to show their displeasure. They're going to cancel their season tickets. They're going to um, send nasty letters like they they care. Um, you know, there's a few other organs like that. Organs are very intense. Mm-hmm. Fan oh, base yeah. they, that would Washington's like that, too. They're a little frustrated right now, but they, they, <laughs> they get after it. Washington fans deserve better. I mean, they really do. Like they they you had that one brief moment of hope with Chris Peterson. But otherwise, it's been pretty rough. For a fan base that I think is of that same, like you said, that same intensity of other parts of the country. Oh, yeah. Now, let's talk about Texas because they are, when we leave Vince Young covered in confetti, they are the kings of the world. And our thought, any of us who, you know, are looking at the the resources, the players, the coaching staff, logically thinking, this is going to be a potential dynasty. They can keep this rolling. Well, they sort of did for another, you know, Colt McCoy comes in and and they get back to the national championship, I think. And then they what, lose and then, and then it's over and, and they never win over. another one. And but but even then they weren't like 06 and 07 weren't that great. And so 08, they were very good. I think they probably should have gotten a chance to play for the Big 12 title and, and maybe we would have seen it. But, you know, it, it's. It's amazing to me that that's that there seemed to be such a such a future out ahead of them, and then it just never really materialized. See, this is where I think Alabama has ruined it for everybody because yeah. they've that's set more normal. This, I they've set this yeah. expectation that you're supposed to be dominant every single year. You're right, Texas. I think may have gone like ten and three ish uh, the next the two years after Vince left, but I don't remember it feeling like the program is crumbling. That no. just that's that's what happened back then. You would have rebuilding years and it was considered normal. Well, and and I think that speaks to what I was talking about earlier when 
you would watch a game, you know, you go back and watch some of these games and you're like, oh, who are, who are some of these guys? Because you, because they didn't go on to the NFL. They didn't become productive NFL players, a lot of them. And you're not feeling that way with some of these teams of the more modern era. The, the episode that Ari Wasserman and Bill Landis and I did on the 2015 Michigan State Ohio State game, like that 2015 Ohio State team was just loaded, loaded top to bottom. Like it was. So, from a sheer talent standpoint, it towered over either of this Texas or USC team. I mean, you're right. Like, it's not um, – now, it is – I was just thinking about it. Like, that 2005 team is caught between – Cedric Benson was there the year before. Mm-hmm. Derek Johnson was there the year before. That was a star-studded team. Well, And, and, and then the Jamal Charles – USC team was, was also pretty loaded. Well, it's kind of the same. I mean, it's not the same yeah. team on defense, but it's the same team on offense. That's what I mean. And, on defense, and, they were loaded. And then, you know, um, and then Jamal Charles, like I said, he was a freshman backup on that team, but then he emerges as their star, I think, the next season. So just kind of caught in between on that. They had a lot of great running backs. Dwayne Aquina is on the staff at this time, and yep. it's just one NF first-round DB after another, kind of like what Ohio State does now. Yep. Um, it was a heck of a run, you know, and, and they'll always it'll always be a little diminished because they only won they only won two big 12 titles because of Oklahoma. But he was winning 10, 11, 12 games every year. But you will never take this one away and no one will ever question legitimacy of this title. That's one of those. We have a lot of arguments in college football. We never argue about how great this game was. It was amazing. And we never argue about how deserving Texas was because to to beat that team in that way it's just one of the all-time great performances and if you're a Texas fan or if you're one of the Texas players or coaches probably one of the all-time satisfying moments because you had it rubbed in your face how good USC was for a month and -hmm. nobody gave you a chance and you just you came out on top so, you know, we were very, very close to it being a much messier scenario, right? Like of two yeah. undisputed Penn State. That was their big, I think Joe Paterno, they'd had four losing seasons in five years and everybody thought he should retire and he's done. And then they rise up in 2005 and they come within one Mario Manningham last mm-hmm. second walk off touchdown of going undefeated. Can you imagine if because I assume that team would have been left out. Right. Then it would have been for this classic game. There still would have been like, well, maybe there should be a split national championship. Yeah, it would have been hanging. What, out what would have happened if Penn State had played uh, Texas because they had a great defense that year? It that would have been hanging out there, and and I just, yeah, it, it is. It's it's crazy to imagine how things would have changed. And if this is a playoff era, I still think those teams would play. If there's a yeah. four team playoff. They would have been one and two. They would have been matched up in the national title game because it would have been as Penn State or Ohio State, maybe West Virginia playing them. I think Ohio State was number four and they Texas beat them. Uh, that was kind of the the beginning yeah. of their the, the beat them in Columbus. I think Ohio State was favored. That was the I was at that game as well. That was the game that kind of announced like they're going to contend for the national title this year. Yeah. Oregon was 10 and one at the end of the regular season as well. So 
you know, they might have been in the mix depending on how things how things shook out. There wasn't obviously a it wasn't the Pac-12 and there wasn't a championship game. Well, Andy, we would have gone to the computers. <laughs> Thank what are the computers? What did the Thank computers? Thank God think? we didn't do that. All right. Well, as for as much flack as the as the um, playoff committee gets in 2005, if there had been some sort of uh, uncertainty, we would have gone to the computers. And yes, here it was: final BCS standings: Penn State three, Ohio State four. Which, by the way, Ohio State was nine and two, and they were a spot ahead of ten and one Oregon. That have gotten spicy, but thank God they didn't have to do that. This this will be the probably the only time you ever hear me say something nice about the BCS. I'm glad I'm glad <laughs> it worked out the way it did for that year because it, it did it set up the perfect game in the perfect venue and a perfect night for everybody except USC fans. It was just if you're a college football fan, how could you not love Keith Jackson calling two superpowers, throwing haymakers at one another? And an all-time great performance leading to an all-time great win. It's it's why we watch. And and Stuart, you know, I'm so glad we got to go down memory lane because I, I had so much fun watching I, that game. Me too. I really have to thank you for this invite. Um, I don't know if I'd ever rewatch that game. If I did, it was probably right when I got back home from from covering it. So it was, it was a treat and it reminded me... Um, you know, it reminded, I think as much as remembering what a classic it was, remembering how big it was, what a, what a big, big deal that game was. Yeah, it, it was amazing. Now, before I let you go, let's, we're going to do more of these because I had so much fun recording these. I want more. So obviously we will have some aspect of the 2013 Auburn season, whether it's a combo of the miracle at Jordan Hare and the kick six and the national championship game of that year, which all were amazing, or just the kick six. I think we're gonna you got to go one. kick six. Yeah. Boise State, Oklahoma, we're going to do that one. What other games kind of stick out in your mind that you'd love to, to travel down memory lane? The, the, the Miami, Ohio State national title game, I think might be one of those. That feels like I, it could be a good one. Th- I mean, that was the other real classic BCS championship game. Um, but I was actually going to recommend the Michigan, Ohio state one versus two game. Yes. Because to 06. me, you talk about buildup. That was a, I think from like late September, you just knew they were going to be undefeated going to that game. Then Bo Schembechler passed away the day before the game. Oh yeah. Um, there's there. I think if you go back and rewatch that one, it'll be, it'll feel very similar to rewatching this one. That, was a that'll great game. be, that'll be a fascinating game because that's, I, I covered Florida for the Tampa Tribune that year. And, you know, Florida ends up winning the national title. But there was that argument about should Michigan get into the national title game and have a rematch? And, and honestly, ha- having covered Florida that year, and this is this is a case you of agreed. where <laughs> when there's not a lot of crossover. Like, yeah. I, I remember the day they, they, did, they put out who was in the BCS championship game. I remember talking to some of the other beat writers and we're like, they put these guys in the championship game? And then, of course, they stomp Ohio State in the championship game. But you just you just didn't know. Like it, there wasn't enough. There weren't enough data points to figure it right. out. So and you also like, that was one of those situations where I think, you know, remember, there was no Big Ten title game. Yeah. That Ohio State Michigan game was the weekend before Thanksgiving. Yeah. Ohio State didn't play for almost two months. You weren't getting the team that went undefeated that year. You were getting. Troy Smith on the banquet circuit. They just, <laughs> it was evident that was not the same team. That was a that, lot of yeah. rubber chicken and Jarvis Moss was happy to, uh, to feast yeah. and Derek, Derek Harvey and all those guys that, that, that were sacking him. So 
yeah, I, this is this is going to be fun. We're going to do all those games. If there are other games you'd like to to suggest, by all means, hit me up on Twitter, Andy underscore Staples. Stewart's at SL Mandel on Twitter. Let us know because these these are a blast, and, and we're going to do some more. So, thank you, Stuart. Thank you to everybody, and uh, and we'll talk to you on Monday.